can be seated this morning. We trust the words of those songs have spoken to your heart. Uh, this morning, as I was preparing for today, I, I looked back at where we started uh, in August, maybe to help me um, remember where we began, but maybe to help us remember what has shaped us. I don't know if you remember, but we began with Moses and the last speech that he gave to his people in Deuteronomy saying this, this commandment that I'm giving you today isn't too much for you. It's not out of your reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb the peak and bring it down to your level and explain it before you can live it. And it's not across the ocean. You don't have to send sailors out to get it, bring it back, and then explain it before you can live it. No. The word is right here and now. As near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest, just do it. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as we talked early this semester, says this in Life Together, that a Christian must accept their responsibility as a citizen of this world where God has placed them, where we live. The responsibility that is ours for this place right now. So my prayer for us as we continue our conversation this semester is that we listen for the, God, for, for the voice of God seeking to shape us so we can be shaped by his voice and his kingdom, setting ours aside for the sake of who he wants us to become, not only individually, but collectively as a people. So I want that to help to shape our prayer time this morning, so bow your heads and close your eyes, and if there's something that maybe you recall throughout this semester that you want to thank God for a word, that you want to ask him to maybe prepare your heart today, maybe there's a need or a burden that you have, you might be the only one in the room that's aware of it. Our Heavenly Father is here and close and wants to hear from you. Father God, we're grateful for a place that even in the midst of an academic calendar believes in setting aside time for us to breathe, for us to listen and to hear, for us to have our hearts moved by the God who created us, the God who can help us understand what humanity is intended to be again enabling us to live the life that you call us to live. Thank you for this space. And so we kind of rip off the pen of Paul this morning where he said that the spirit that has begun a work in us will carry it on to completion until the day when our Lord comes to make all things new. And so we pray that today would be another step in that for us. That you, as we often ask, would make us more like you today than we were yesterday. That you would make this place more like your kingdom today than it was yesterday as we learn to follow and keep in step with your spirit. Make it so for us today. Hear the cry of your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for praying. 
Well, if you've been around a couple years, uh, this isn't your first time, but it's great to have Dr. Efren Smith back with us, who was a doctor since the last time he was with us. He earned his doctorate this past June, so congratulations for that. Ephraim serves as co-lead pastor at Bayside Church Midtown, which is a thriving multi-ethnic community in Sacramento, California. I've already apologized to him for the weather. He loves speaking about racial righteousness, enabling churches and communities to thrive. He's a graduate of St. John's University and Luther Theological Seminary, and like I said, he earned his doctorate in ministry just this past summer from Fuller Seminary, as well as holding an honorary doctorate from Ashland Theological Seminary. Ephraim's married to Denisha, who is here with us today. He has two daughters, Jada and Mariah, and Ephraim, it's great to have you back with us. Would you help me welcome back Ephraim Smith? It is indeed an honor to be back here at Olivet Nazarene University, and uh, I'm glad to have uh, my wife with me this time, and so uh, just to be back in this community for a couple days, uh, we're, we're grateful to be here. I want to read to you from the book of Acts in the New Testament. There is a story about two men, Cornelius and Peter. So we pick up this story in Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. From this text, I want to speak to you on the title, When Christians Become a Bridge. When Christians Become a Bridge. God, I pray that this would be your message that ultimately you would be speaking and I would just be the vessel, the vehicle that you decided to use to say what you want to say. 
To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. When Christians become a bridge. Uh, there was no need to apologize to me and my wife, Danisha, about the weather. Though we live in California, we're originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So this is kind of like a winter homecoming for us. And so, uh, uh, you know, growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we are definitely uh, accustomed to some cold, though California has kind of thinned out our blood a little bit. Uh, I have a lot of memories growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, one memory is a tragic one, though. I'll never forget, as a pastor in Minneapolis, on August 1st, 2007, on August 1st, 2007, the I-35W bridge, or the portion of I-35W bridge that connects the twin cities of St. Paul and Minneapolis, a portion of that huge bridge collapsed. This eight-lane, 1,907-foot-long I-35W highway bridge over the Mississippi River collapsed. 1,000 feet of the deck truss collapsed with about 456 feet of the main span falling 108 feet into the 15-foot-deep Mississippi River. 111 vehicles were on the collapsed part of that bridge. 13 people died that day. 145 people were injured. There was a school bus on the bridge when it collapsed. Elementary school kids on that bus. I can't explain why. I guess miraculously, in the midst of the tragedy, the death, the injury, the brokenness, the school bus somehow landed in a way on the banks of the Mississippi River, and there were some minor injuries, but all the children, in tears, through cries, were alive on the school bus when the bridge collapsed. There was a young man named Nate. He happened to be a member of the church I was pastoring at the time in Minneapolis. He was working close by the, the devastation where the bridge collapsed. He ran towards the collapsed bridge. He ran to the debris, the smoke, the injury, the death, the cries, the pain. He ran to the brokenness and devastation. Now, in no way do I want to make light of this tragedy by using it as a metaphor. I am sure that there are families still today that are grieving, that are healing over the loss of loved ones. I'm sure there are people that survived that collapsed bridge to this day. They still have wounds of the soul as they think back to being on that bridge when it collapsed. But as I look at this as a metaphor, I think about the social collapses the places where humanity should be unified, in harmony, in beloved community, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say. The places where there ought to be peace and community and connectedness. And yet, all around our nation, all around the world, there are collapses, brokenness, division, there are gaps where there should be community. And so what if Christians decided to be a bridge? What if the Christian life 
was about standing in the gaps, going to the chasms where there's brokenness, where there's injustice, where there's dehumanizing, where there's demeaning, where there's deep polarization and separation. What if the Christian life became a bridge? This kind of Christian life is framed for us here in Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius and Peter. It says in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. What if the Christian life became a bridge? Here's the first point. God builds bridges. The reason the Christian life should become a bridge is because if the Christian life were a bridge, then our lives are aligning with the mission, with the work of God, because God builds bridges. There is a chasm, there is a separation that exists between God and humanity, between the kingdom of God and this earth in which we live because of sin and all the different forms of sin, whether it's envy or jealousy, whether it's stealing or murder, whether it's discrimination, whether it's prejudice, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, whether it's the, the, the lustful or murderous thoughts that exist in my heart that I can't even talk about. Uh, whatever it is, there is sin. It, it's in the soul. It's, it's individual. It's systemic. It's institutional. And so this, 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 this force known as sin, it creates a chasm, a gap, a separation between God and humanity. And yet God God's response to this separation, to this chasm, is to build a bridge, is to build a bridge to you and I. God loves humanity so much that in spite of sin, in spite of us going our own way, God's response is God builds bridges. God built a bridge to Cornelius. This is a radical story because Cornelius is a centurion of the Italian regiment. He represents an empire. He represents a system. He represents institutions that would be antithetical to the one true God. But yet he's God-fearing. He gives to people in need. He gives to the poor. How does someone that would be entrenched in a system, in a structure, in an empire that would be anti the one true God be devoted to God? Because God builds bridges, even to the institutions and the communities and the places and the systems that are against God. God builds bridges towards those places. God goes to the hard-hearted. God goes to the arrogant. God goes to the prideful. God goes to the people that give themselves to systems and institutions and ideologies and philosophies that are anti-God. He builds a bridge to them. God builds 
bridges. He built one to the house of Cornelius. I don't know how Cornelius originally became a God-fearing person. I don't know how Cornelius began to live a life of giving to the poor, to people in need. God must have built a bridge to him. We don't know that part of the story. The story opens just by knowing that even though he's in an empire that's not for the true God, he has a heart for God. God builds bridges. God also rebuilds bridges, which means if we were connected to God, but yet we find ourselves in a dark night of the soul. If we find ourselves away from God, if we find ourselves in a faith crisis, if we find ourselves going, I don't know if I can believe in God right now. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what happened in my family. You don't know what my struggles have been. And so I kind of believe there's a God, but I'm, I'm struggling. God will rebuild a bridge back to you. God also expands bridges. God wants to put our life on the bridge of God. God expands bridges. What do I mean by this? Well, I uh, live in Sacramento, California, not that far from the Bay Area of San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose. And so when you're going from Sacramento into San Francisco, you have to go over some bridges. Uh, you have to go over a bridge to get into the Bay Area proper. And then if you want to get into uh, San Francisco to go downtown San Francisco, probably going to go over the Bay Bridge. Now, as you're going towards the Bay Bridge, there's a huge traffic jam. It seems no matter if you're going during rush hour, if you're going on the weekends, it seems like no matter what day it is, what time it is, there's always a lot of traffic going over the Bay Bridge. And so as, as you get to the Bay Bridge, it's just bumper to bumper traffic unless you can get in the carpool lane. If you can get in the carpool lane, you can get to the Bay Bridge and get over the bridge into San Francisco faster. You can get there, uh, but you have to have multiple people in your car. It's got to be real people. Can't be a mannequin, can't be a dog, can't be a cat. It's got to be like actual people. And this is the thing. Usually carpool lanes are two people in the car, but the carpool lane to get into San Francisco, you have to have at least three people in your vehicle. You have to have multiple people to get to the destination faster. I wonder if there's some destinations that you need more people in your life to get to. What if God wants to expand the bridge of your life to get you into the carpool lane of your faith? It's not a carpool lane, but what if it's a cross-cultural, multi-ethnic lane that God wants to get you? Because we're in a traffic jam trying to get to unity. We're in a traffic jam trying to get to justice. We're in a traffic jam trying to get to harmony. We're in a traffic jam trying to get a church that looks like heaven. And maybe if in our friendship, in our inner circle, Maybe if we would be open, desirous, hungry, thirsty to develop cross-cultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-class relationships. What if we became friends with people that didn't vote the way we voted? What if we got in the carpool lane of Jesus so that we could get to the destination of the mission of God quicker? Maybe God wants to expand your bridge. This is what God is doing with Cornelius. But God doesn't only build bridges, one. 
God raises up bridge people. God will take broken people. God will take complex people, conflicted people, narrow-minded people, and raise them up as bridge people for God's purposes in the world. This is where we get to Peter. Peter, who walked with Jesus, but had some issues. I mean, the same Peter that walked with Jesus denied Jesus, but he's also the same Peter that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows up to and brings back. But then he's also the same Peter that wants to bring the gospel to Jews, but he really doesn't want to bring the gospel to Gentiles. Not the people that represent the systems and the institutions and the structures that oppress Jews. Not the people that, that, would cruci that represent the systems that would crucify you like they crucified Jesus for believing in Jesus. But yet God meets Peter to raise him up as a bridge Christian. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 10, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. God builds bridges. God raises up bridge people. God may need to give you a new vision so that you understand your purpose in this world. No matter what your major is, no matter what your desired career vocation path is, you are called to be a bridge Christian. Whether you're gonna be a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher or a social worker or a pastor or a worship leader, you're, you're called to be a bridge Christian. Whether you're gonna be in government, uh, you're, if you're gonna be in the nonprofit sector, if you're gonna start your own business, if you're gonna be in the sciences, if you're gonna be an engineer, whatever your career path, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are being sent as a missionary into that societal domain. You need to reimagine what it means to be Christian. You must reimagine. Imagine what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, a representative from heaven dispatched into a segment of the society in a broken world. You need to reimagine this. Could it be that God wants to raise you up as a bridge person? So yeah, God had to do some stuff with Peter to get him ready for this kind of bridge life. So here's Peter at a tanner's house. This was a messy place. It's where someone takes uh, an, the skins of an animal, takes an animal through the process of their skins being prepared uh, to become products that people would want to buy. And so there's blood, there's, it's just a messy place. Why would Peter, a Jew, who sees himself as clean, be in a place like that? Maybe he's hiding out avoiding persecution for a moment. I, I don't know, but he's there. 
<clears throat> and while he's there, he goes up to the roof of the tanner's house to pray, and uh, he gets hungry. Maybe he gets hangry, and they didn't have any snicker bars back then, so he's just got to wait it out until the food is ready. So he, he, he kind of maybe said, I'm going to take a nap until the food is ready, and, and he gets this vision from God where all these animals, unclean animals in his culture are lowered down, reptiles, all kinds of birds. And God says, hey, Peter, you say you're hungry, eat that. Why don't you have a, a gecko sandwich? Why don't you have a snake po' boy? Uh, why don't you have a vulture submarine sandwich? Eat that. Why don't you have crow noodles? He's like, what? That's unclean. God, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I'm not going to have a lizard sandwich. Oh, my gosh, what is that? Pasta and rat. Ooh, no. And God is saying, no, eat that. Don't say it's unclean. I've made it clean. Now, what are we really supposed to learn from that? Please don't go and uh, have, uh, you know, gecko uh, sandwiches this week. I, don't, I wouldn't recommend that. What's the story really saying? Maybe God needs to expand your spiritual taste buds. You know, I'm telling you not to eat crazy stuff like that, but here's a story. Um, my dad is from Louisiana. So when I was a kid growing up, me and my younger brother, we would go down to uh, Monroe, Louisiana, or this small town called Bosco outside of, of Monroe, Louisiana, at the end of a dirt road where my grandparents' house were, and I, some cousins, they had a house too. And so I had a cousin, her name was O'Rail. Yeah, yeah, that's a down south name. So O'Rail, my cousin, she was barbecuing one day, and so, um, but she told me, because I was only like, you know, 11 years old or so at the time, she was like, stay away from the grill, it's too hot. And so when she wasn't looking, I went up to the grill, and it, that, man, the meat smelled so good that I, 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 I reached up, I took a little piece, and I was chewing it. And my cousin O'Rail said, didn't I tell you not to touch the grill? You could have burned yourself, it's too hot. But what do you think of that? I said, Cousin O'Rell, this is so good. This is the best chicken I ever had in my life. She said, that's not chicken, that's armadillo. <laughs> okay, there's only two ways you can get armadillo. Like, you're not gonna go to Safeway, you're not gonna go to Rainbow, you're not gonna go to Cub, you know, you're not gonna go to 7-Eleven and get armadillo. Like, the only way you're gonna get armadillo is you're either gonna hunt it or hit it. Like, that's the only way you get an armadillo. And here I was eating armadillo. Have you ever seen an armadillo? It looks like a, a, a miniature Jurassic Park creature with a turtle shell on it. Like, it's, that's nasty. I'm chewing it. But I already said it was good. I already said it tastes like chicken. Could it be that God wants to give you a new vision for what you say is clean or unclean? I'm not talking about compromising the word of God. I'm not talking about not seeing sin for what it is. But maybe there are some places God wants to send you in your bridge Christian life. Some relationships where, where the world is saying that place, those people, that village, that town, that neighborhood is unclean. Don't go there after dark. Don't hang out there. We didn't raise you to go to that place. And that's the very place God wants to build a bridge 
with you on it? What if Christians became a bridge? God raises up bridge people. God gave Peter a new vision for his life. God builds bridges, God raises up bridge people, and God provides bridges of reconciliation. God calls you and I to enter one another's spaces. This community you have here at Olivet Nazarene University is an opportunity to build new bridges. When you're on a college campus with people that come from different states than you, different cities than you, different nations than you, different perspectives, it's an opportunity on this campus to practice bridge building to practice bridges of reconciliation. God has brought you on this campus, and could it be that God intentionally puts you in places to, to build bridges, to build bridges of reconciliation? You can practice what reconciled, unified, maturing, developing, God-honoring community looks like. You can practice forgiveness. You can practice grace. You can practice generosity. You can practice hospitality. You can practice acknowledging the image of God upon somebody on this campus. You can allow God to build bridges through your life so that you'll go out of this campus into a broken world as a bridge builder for the rest of your life. God builds bridges. God raises up bridge people. God provides bridges of reconciliation. And finally, God is a bridge over troubled waters. My wife and I recently had the opportunity to visit places that Paul went on his second missionary journey. After we read about Peter's life in the book of Acts, the book of Acts makes a transition into the life of Paul. We had a chance uh, last month to go to Rome, to visit Athens, to go see the ancient ruins of Corinth, to go to Mars Hill, to then go over to Turkey and see the ancient ruins of Ephesus. We had an opportunity to see the ruins of empire, of the places that would have been intimidating, these towering temples, these towering mountains that the first century Christians would have had to bring the gospel into. Troubled waters existed between Cornelius and Peter. There was trouble between their people trouble between their cultures, trouble between the systems and institutions, the movements that they represented. And yet God brings Peter and Cornelius into the same space. Even though Cornelius was God-fearing, sisters and brothers, he really didn't know the gospel yet. He was given to the poor, but he didn't know Jesus yet. And so Peter comes into the house of Cornelius and he presents the gospel. And the scripture tells us, you read it for yourself, that the Holy Spirit came upon the entire household. And God built a bridge because Jesus is the ultimate bridge builder. When Jesus hung on the cross, that was a bridge between heaven and earth. 
That was a bridge over troubled waters, and that's what God is calling you and I to be. A bridge over the troubled waters of poverty and disease and human trafficking. A bridge over the troubled waters over division and brokenness over the immigration issue. A bridge over troubled waters so that the mission of God can bring the solution and not missiles. A bridge over troubled waters so that we can dismantle uh, unjust structures of all the isms that exist. You and I are called to be a bridge over troubled water, which means you have to be willing to walk over that bridge. And sometimes God has not only called us to be a bridge over troubled waters, God has called us to get in the water, to get in the water with those that are drowning in brokenness. Maybe you're called to be a bridge and a lifeguard at the same time, that you would jump into waters that no one else will go into so that the lost can be found, the hurting can be helped, and the broken can be blessed. Let's pray. God, I'm so glad that you built a bridge to my life. I don't know where I would be if you hadn't built a bridge towards me. If I hadn't realized that Jesus died on the cross for me, that Jesus rose from the grave for me, that the Holy Spirit was dispatched for me, that you love me. You built a bridge towards me, God, that I would know that I'm beloved, that I'm gifted, that I'm talented, that I'm made in the image of God, that I have a voice, that there's a purpose and a mission on my life. I pray that that would be true of all of my sisters and brothers here, that they would know that you built a bridge to them to their circumstance, to their situation, to their stresses, to their anxieties, to their challenges. And you in turn call us to be a bridge in a broken world. Let this be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. So another book that we talked about, James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, just says this. As God does, so his people do as well. May that be said about me and us in this place. Thanks. Have a great day.